It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Today's episode is the second part of a series we're doing around our free ebook, Take Charge, which is all about helping you get consistent, stay committed, and follow through on your health and wellness goals. And you can download this free ebook, follow along, revisit it after this episode at our website, wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the free resources section, this is one of several free resources. We have a few ebooks, we have some videos for you there, lots of things to support you and guide you through different elements of your health and wellness, your well-being. And this book actually came about in 2019 after we had done a survey and talked to our community more about what they were struggling with. And then we enlisted the support of some other amazing wellness warriors, which we talked about in the previous episodes. If you haven't listened to it, to that episode yet, that was last week, last Wednesday, and all the upcoming episodes will be a thread through. And these amazing people helped us answer some of the common questions. And today's episode is about how to achieve whatever you consider to be peak physical condition in a way that is sustainable and healthy for you. We're going to share with you some of our personal tips, some of the tips that came from these other health and wellness thought leaders, and just share more about our experiences with this and hopefully inspire you, give you some more ideas, help motivate you. Because as we talked about in the previous episode on last Wednesday when we started this series, that a huge struggle for a lot of people is consistency. And a lot of these tips are going to sound really familiar and easy and things you already know, but sometimes just hearing them from different people like us, from these other wellness warriors we're going to talk about which is a phrase we love to use because we have this program called Wellness Warrior Training. We're really passionate about helping you discover whatever it is that however you define being a warrior in your own life. And uh, that might sometimes mean that you're super active and you're taking charge is is the phrase of this whole ebook. But sometimes being a wellness warrior is tuning into what you need and slowing down, which is something that we've actually been talking a lot about recently especially because as of the time of this recording, both Jason and I are visiting family and Jason's got just over a day left with your friends and family in Detroit. How are you feeling about that, Jason? Are you nervous about going back to Los Angeles? Or do you wish that you had more time? Like, Do you feel like you've had enough time? What's your overall feeling right now in terms of heading back to non-travel life, I guess, <laughs> which is a really awkward way of putting it. But you're doing something different. You're visiting a place that you only get to visit about every year, if you're lucky. And you're with your family members and some friends that you don't often see. So what's your overall state of being today? It's a mixed bag. I feel a little bit of feelings that I wish I could stay longer. It's just under two weeks that I've been here and 
it's always wanting more time. But my mom and I talked about me coming more often out here because definitely one of the offshoots of this pandemic phase has been really kind of making spending time with people whenever possible in person more of a priority in life. And I feel like for many, many years, I kind of put my career or my professional drive ahead of seeing the people in my life and my family back here. And I want to flip that. It's not that getting your dreams and and goals and aims accomplished isn't important, but I think for a long time, I put seeing family and seeing people I love on the back burner and I don't really want to do that anymore. So it's a mixed bag emotionally, you know? I wish I could stay because it's so beautiful here right now and I, I love the weather and I love more time with my mom and my friends here. But I do miss my animals. I miss Laura. I miss my people back in LA. I don't miss LA at all. I feel kind of like it's going back to purgatory for me. That's kind of another conversation perhaps, but I miss the people. I don't really miss LA. I feel a mixed bag. I'm not feeling great today to be just fully in my discomfort admitting that. I just, yeah, I'm not feeling amazing. I'm feeling a little bit emotional and sensitive and a little bit sad about the idea of leaving tomorrow. Yeah, I can really relate to that. And I don't know if this makes you feel any better, Jason, but even after being with my family and friends on the East Coast for, I think it's been five weeks, I also feel nervous. I'm, I'm going to be leaving. I plan to leave. <laughs> One of the benefits of driving out here is that I have some flexibility, but I also need to consider how long it's going to take me to drive back to Los Angeles and any thing that could happen along the way, I suppose, as well as our whole work schedule, you and me, and plus my own work schedule. There's a lot of different considerations, even when you are taking a a more flexible mode of transportation versus flying when you have a reservation and all of that. But it's a Friday that we're recording this episode, and I plan to leave on a Thursday morning next Thursday. And I too have similar feelings, Jason. And I, I talked about a little bit in previous episode how I almost feel nervous about going back to Los Angeles. Not that the city really doesn't affect me in the same ways that it's been affecting you, Jason. I know that you've kind of been deeply considering leaving. I'm not at that point yet. Even during this trip where I've been seeing different parts of the country, spending more time on the East Coast where I grew up, and seeing like what you can get for less money or living a slower pace of life, all of that is very appealing to me. And yet, I still think that LA feels good to me for the most part. However, it's hard to leave. I've been really sitting with that and examining it, Jason. And what's really interesting to hear you share your feelings today is, I guess I just wonder if it ever feels like enough time. There's part of me that I don't know if this is part of what you're experiencing, Jason, but I keep thinking like, gosh, I just wish that I could have more flexibility, right? (laughs) Here I am with, as I just said, a lot of flexibility and it still doesn't feel like enough. I still wish that I could just leave when I felt like it. But part of me is wondering, will I ever feel like leaving? And for me, again, I don't think that's about me not wanting to go back to Los Angeles. I just think that I'm comfortable here. And it feels uncomfortable to leave. And there's also this fear. I wonder if this is also what you're experiencing, Jason. It's like that fear of not having enough. We talk so much about the fear of not being enough and that overall experience of not enoughness that many of us express to one another. But what about not having enough time 
or yeah, I think it's actually a time thing for me. I get, I feel very tense around that. I know that you do as well. There's like that ongoing feeling of not only am I doing enough, but am I spending enough time with my family members? So I'd love to hear your commentary on that. And I'd also love to share something that I experienced today that ties into this conversation. But does any of this kind of resonate with you, Jason, in terms of what you're experiencing? And especially like if you step back and think this common thought that I often have when I've flown out here, which has been most of my trips to the East Coast, is taking an airplane because it's fast, (laughs) much faster than driving. And I think I had this perception that if I drove out here and spent more time that it would feel satisfying. So is it that you don't feel like you've spent enough time and you wish that you had more time? But what would even feel like enough time for you, Jason, if two weeks didn't feel like enough? Well, I think in terms of the duration over the years, I've kind of played with the amount of time that I've been here to gauge what feels like a good amount of time for me. And most of the trips that I've taken in the years that I've been away from Detroit have been anywhere between like say a week and two weeks, between seven and 14 days. I did one time when I was writing the first draft of my book, Eternity. I came here in, I think that was the holidays of 2014, 2015, because the book came out in 2016. So one of those winters I came and I spent over three weeks here. I think I spent 22 days. And after 22 days, I felt like I was ready to leave. So I know that's just a very small sample size, but after spending a little over three weeks here, there was a part of me that's like, okay, I'm I'm ready to go back to California. So I think my sweet spot, just based on how many times I've come here to visit, is probably between two and three weeks. So I think next time I probably would push it closer to the two and a half or three week mark just to see how I would feel. Because there's still more I want to do here. There's still more I want to see. There's more people I want to see. And the backdrop of COVID right now has made it difficult to see certain people because everyone has different levels of comfort or discomfort or boundaries with physical distancing. So yeah, I think for me, the sweet spot is between two and three weeks, solid weeks here. And it's a little challenging because I feel like there's more reflection I want to do here. And not all of it's been comfortable reflection. You know, Some of it has been, I guess, meditating on certain memories of creative projects I had here or bands or dreams I had of becoming a professional musician. And there's a lot of history here for me. It's still the longest place that I've ever lived because I grew up here. And you know, it's good to, I think, bring things up for reflection. I'm not really quite sure what I'm going to do with all of it emotionally, but there's a lot coming up for me as I'm, I'm ready to leave in about 24 hours. So I'm sure I'll have plenty to chew on when I get back to Los Angeles. It's interesting, right? Because we can learn so much about ourselves as we actually talked about in the previous episode as well about how travel can help us be more present and aware. And especially on this trip, Jason, I'm curious as things are coming up for you and as you're saying you're chewing on them. I think before I went on this trip, I anticipated having like all these breakthroughs and feeling less burnt out and catching up on sleep and rest because I'm outside the city and I'm maybe at a slower pace. But gosh, Certainly, there have been a lot of moments that are are even faster pace on this trip while I've visited people. And of course, during the drive out here, you're literally moving fast for, in my case, 10 days of just nonstop. And there are moments where I'm thinking, gosh, I need to be more intentional and slow down and do less and sleep in. And I've had some of those days too. 
And there have been days where I slept, like I think one day, like 11 hours, you know, which was awesome. And I'm, I'm going to try to have at least one more of those days before I head back, especially because I'm going to be on the road for another week or so. I guess, though, it's interesting to examine expectations before a trip. And I'm curious, like, A, did you expect to get more sleep? Because I know when we spoke yesterday, you said that you feel tired. And I almost felt surprised to hear that from you, Jason, because in my head, I thought, oh, great. He's going to be with his mom. He'll be more relaxed. He'll feel taken care of. He's outside of LA. He can just sleep more. But it sounds like you don't feel any more rested in Detroit in this scenario than you do in LA. So clearly, in both of our cases, it's not always true that when you leave home to go on a vacation or visit people or whatever you're doing while traveling, you don't necessarily feel more rested or less burnt out. You're not slowing down necessarily. And you also might not have big breakthroughs. I think that's the other thing for me as I thought like, ooh, I'm going to learn so much about myself during this trip. And maybe I have, but I haven't processed it. What do you think about all that, Jason? Like, Is this trip what you expected? Have you had some curveballs? Are you surprised that you still feel tired even outside of LA? Because It seems to me a lot of your motivation for wanting to leave LA, aside from the financial impacts of that, it seems like you feel distressed in LA. And do you feel less stressed being in Detroit or not? Yeah, I do feel a lot less stressed here for sure. I think one of the things that I'm experiencing is just insomnia. I've just been struggling with staying asleep, not necessarily falling asleep, but staying asleep. But I don't feel the level of stress or tension or like the energy is as dense here. I mean, it's it's just a different vibe. And I just, I know that my soul is asking for a slower pace of life and it's asking for a quieter pace of life and more nature. And I know that and coming here and just getting to see the beautiful nature here in the fall. I mean, it's absolutely the most gorgeous season here. And I think it's changing the narrative of this idea that I've always had to be in the big, big cities to set myself up for success, creative or financial success. I think that there's still this pervasive mythology around places like New York City, London, San Francisco, Los Angeles, to a lesser extent, maybe Chicago or Tokyo, places like that. You know, there's, there's a mythology around if you're a creative person or you're an artist or even an entrepreneur, you have to go to this very narrow and select areas on the planet to set yourself up with connections and collaborators and career options. But I'm realizing that I don't buy into that mythology anymore. And we've talked about how many people we know who have left LA. We have a running joke of how many people in both of our lives keep moving to Austin, Texas. But I've heard of other friends of ours moving to Nashville, moving to Oregon or Washington State, going to Colorado. There's different places people are kind of relocating to that are smaller metro areas, not these big meccas. And they seem to be doing well so far. So I think what I'm experiencing, Whitney, is is a re-landscaping of my belief system that I've held on to for my entire professional career, which was, you know, you gotta be in a big city to to do your thing. And I think that's run its course. I don't know if that's gonna be a desire that I feel again, but I think going to I'm actually getting an astrocartography reading. That's a whole nother side note to this episode, but I'm getting a friend who is gonna be doing an astrocartography reading on Wednesday. And I think it's going to be super interesting to see what that reveals. So I will have more to report on that very soon after my two-hour reading comes up this Wednesday. Well, I'm really looking forward to I don't even know what that is. So I'm going to save all my questions for that episode where we explore that more. And uh, because I already mentioned what this episode is about, and certainly the title has teased that as well, 
I think we can tie a lot of this into how we achieve the physical condition that we're in. You know, I think that there's this desire to get into peak physical condition and it's very similar to creating our life and figuring out what is truly sustainable for us physically. And certainly we've been discussing the mental side of it, which ties so much into life in general. And I think also our mentality, our outlook about how we treat our bodies. And the number one tip that we have in our free ebook, Take Charge, which again, you can download for free to follow along to be as a compliment to this episode. It's at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in the free resources section. The first tip that you'll see in there is to move every day. And we actually talked about this a bit in the previous episode because a lot of these tips overlap. We're going to repeat some things today. So if you haven't listened to that episode, that's okay because uh, we'll share some tips. But we recommend listening to this whole series because one tip leads to another. And this idea of moving every day, I'm actually very curious to hear how that's been going for you, Jason, A, because you've had an injury that you've been working on for a while, and B, because you've been traveling. I'd love to hear how that's been going. And C, just in general through COVID, which is one of the big elements of the series that we want to talk about is how not only is it timely to when this episode comes out, but we don't know how long we're going to be in this new normal that people have been calling it. We don't know how long the fitness studios and various places that you would work out typically are going to be different. It is interesting to me for somebody that doesn't really go to the gym that frequently. I've never really been into the gym. I've, I've had a few gym memberships over my life and just wasn't that into them. So they actually haven't been sustainable for me and keeping my body in good shape. I'm much more of a yoga person or Pilates or bar. I went through a big bar phase. I find it really interesting that that the gyms have adapted to COVID. And for instance, when I was in New York City last week, I walked by one of the chains and there was a line of people waiting to go in. And I thought to myself, gosh, like I can't imagine having to wait in line to go and work out. Like who knows how long these lines are. But then I remembered how I used to actually wait in line to go into my yoga class because if I didn't, then I would risk missing out due to the fact that they only had limited spots in the class. So I used to get up at like five in the morning and drive down the street, wait in line for only like five or 10 minutes, go inside, get my spot, and then wait for class to begin. And it was this whole ritual I had. And now I can just turn on Zoom and I have the exact same class with the same teacher, but in a virtual scenario. And it's been really interesting for me because I see how differently I react to a Zoom virtual class versus in-person classes and how I really miss that ritual, even though it took more time. You know, like that particular class started at, oh gosh, I think it was 6 a.m. or something. Let's just say six to seven, right? So, but I would get up at like five something. I would get there at 5:30. I wouldn't start class till six or six fifteen, whenever it was. And then I would be done at seven something and get back. So it'd be like two hours that I was out of the home going to this class, not to mention taking a shower and whatnot. And now I can just turn on my computer or even my phone if I want. I can go anywhere. 
and it's just that hour long class. So I've saved time. It's also less expensive, but I have found it mentally challenging to stay consistent. And this is one of the big keys with moving your body every day, ideally. And a quote from Robert Cheek, one of our contributors to this ebook said, by far the most important step in achieving any fitness goal is to be consistent. And it doesn't really matter what it is that you're doing. It could be running, weightlifting, yoga, hiking, whatever you enjoy doing. If you are consistent with it, you're going to be more likely to improve and find success and joy. And I absolutely think that's true. And I keep that in mind. But there's still days, Jason, where I know that my class starts in time and I drag my feet. And then I go through this game in my head of like, maybe I'll skip it. And then there's like a little voice in my head that says like, oh, you really shouldn't skip it because you should be consistent, just like Robert's saying here. But it's tempting to skip it. It's tempting to come up with excuses, even with a virtual class. And I'm curious for you, Jason, like how have things changed in terms of your movement? Do you have an an intentional practice of moving your body somehow every day? Are you taking online classes? I know you were doing some like in-person outdoor yoga classes at one point, but you haven't really told me much about what you've been doing outside of that. And how has that been affected also by your injury? Yeah, it's actually the injury was a blessing because the first couple of months of quarantine, I wasn't moving my body at all. I just kind of was, I don't know, in this mode of just like, whatever, I don't really feel like it. And then I was, I got inspired to start working out again. And there's a local basketball court near my house in Los Angeles. And I had driven by these courts and noticed that there was almost no one there ever. So I thought, oh, I kind of have my own private basketball court. And I was going and working out and and getting my legs back and doing drills and, you know, spending like uh, an hour a day playing basketball. And then one of the days, this was, I think, maybe late April, early May, I rolled my ankle and I kept playing because I was like, I actually wasn't in pain. I had rolled it and rolled it bad, but it wasn't hurting. I'm like, this is fine. And then about five to six days later, it just blew up like an eggplant. And it ended up being a gout flare-up, which I realized that I had had a previous bout with gout like three years ago, and injuries can re-aggravate it. And I waited so long to actually go get the foot looked at, which was kind of an egotistical decision by me of like, it'll work out, it'll work itself out, it'll heal, but ended up with severe tendonitis. So, you know, got rid of the gout, but the tendonitis was so bad that it hurt to walk on my foot. And so I went to physical therapy and I'm still doing the protocol. I'm this is my I just finished my 8th week of physical therapy and the foot feels incredible and it's so funny <laughs> because as one of the side benefits that is just hilarious to me is these exercises are pretty hardcore like they've been building in intensity. I had my second meeting with my PT doctor and he gave me some new exercises to do and one day I was like kind of whatever, getting out of the shower and felt my butt. And I was like, uh, I think my butt's bigger. And I was laughing to myself. So I called Laura over and I'm like, is my butt bigger? And it totally is. So side benefit of injuring my foot was actually getting this PT protocol where in order to be able to walk without pain, I had to get my legs stronger and my midsection stronger. But as a side benefit, like all of a sudden I like have a booty for the first time in my life, which is hilarious to me. So I think for me, it became 
my resistance, I just want to say this, I still don't enjoy working out. There are times where I will start my routine, whether that's my lower body PT or my upper body to get my my chest, my back, my arms strong again. Almost every single time I'm like, oh, I can't stand this shit. Like my mind will just be like, I really don't enjoy working out. I don't, but I do it because the pain that I am experiencing is an exchange, right? It's like I dislike it and it's painful, but I would rather how do I say this? Move through my discomfort and dislike for something and feel the pain of growing my muscles and getting stronger rather than the pain of hobbling around on an injured foot, if that makes sense. And to me, that's kind of how I negotiate my mind. It's like, you know, this is going to hurt. You know, you're uncomfortable. You know, you don't like this, but it's a lot better than the pain, which was when it was bad, my foot, it was like a nine out of 10 pain. It was some of the most intense pain. So to me, it's a pain exchange. I'm going to hurt now so I don't hurt worse later, if that makes sense. For sure. And I think that's a really important element of this as well. And I bet you Robert Cheek would agree with this. It's kind of like that no pain, no gain mentality. Although Robert's so interesting. And we talked about him in the previous episode because he was one of our podcast guests months ago in one of our favorite episodes. If you haven't listened to that episode with Robert, We really encourage you to because he talks about not only fitness, but social media and mental health, anxiety. He really opens up more. And speaking of anything that we reference today, this free ebook, previous episodes, any resources, any brands that we mention, as we often do, you can find a list of all of that on our website, which again is spelled W E L L E V A T R dot com. If you listen to our podcast frequently, you probably have that memorized and we hope that you go there. Click on the podcast section. When you find this episode, there's a transcript and there's a whole resource section at the bottom and you can just click and find everything we reference. We want to make it super easy for you to find episodes and freebies and whatever else. And I think that Robert's opinion about fitness has changed a lot. So we did check in with him on this a year ago when this ebook was written and I'm just interested to see how people's mentality around fitness fluctuates. As we talked about in the previous episode, one of my favorite tips about staying in good shape with your body, whatever that means to you, because we all have different perspectives on shape, quote, and what, quote, peak physical condition is. Uh, Drina Burton shared a tip about how if we just do something every day, even for just 10 minutes, that really has a long-term effect on us. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, I try to think about that. One thing that's really helped me out is having a Apple Watch. And this could be any device. There's so many wrist devices, whether they're watches or specifically for fitness, like a Fitbit, for example. These are cool because depending on the model that you buy, they will notify you about how often you move your body. And mine is set to move every day for about 30 minutes. And my watch will actually tell me if I haven't hit that goal yet. Now you can adjust that. So if I wanted to, I could bring that down to 10 minutes or 20 minutes, split the difference. And that way I know how often I'm moving. And and the key is not to get obsessed with this, right? Like I think it's very easy, especially with devices that are tracking you, that that you want to hit your goals and you want to hit your metrics. But as we're going to keep reiterating, the more important element is to be consistent, even if it's something small. And so for today, for example, I actually well and above, far and above, I should say, my goal because I did two forms of movement. 
One was I took my yoga class. And by the way, (laughs) something I don't think I've ever admitted to anybody else that I'm a little amused by is sometimes because I take Zoom classes now, I will log on to Zoom. I'll have my camera and microphone off so no one can see me or hear me. And sometimes I won't actually start participating in the class until like 15 minutes into it or so. And I like ease myself into class. And I find that a little amusing because it feels kind of lazy. I'm usually the only person in this particular class I take that doesn't have my camera on. So I can see the other students and they're all doing the moves. They're there for the full hour of class. But I found that for my mental well-being, which is a really important thing that we always stress on this podcast, is if I don't feel like doing a full hour of class, that doesn't mean that I can't just do part of it. So sometimes I just show up. And again, the beauty of video class is that you can leave whenever you want. And I am respectful for the teacher. So I show up on time. I turn my, my Zoom on so that she sees that I'm there. And I just keep my camera off so I can choose what I want to do and what I don't want to do. Now, part of me feels like I'm selling myself short with this. And certainly when I used to do my in-person classes, I didn't have that option. I had to show up on time. I had to be there for the full hour. I couldn't be checking my phone during class as I sometimes do during the Zoom classes. But I also try not to beat myself up because we are living very differently than we used to, right? So anyways, today I did 20 minutes of the hour class and I was slacking a little bit more than usual, but I also had to listen to my body and my mental state and I just didn't feel like I physically wanted to do that full hour or mentally I felt very distracted. And I also knew that I was going to be going on a long walk with a friend that I met virtually. In fact, I didn't tell you about this, Jason, so I'll tell you and the listener I got together with a wonderful person who is a fellow vegan and somebody who is known for doing keto. So for those of you that didn't know this, I have been doing a vegan keto diet off and on since 2018. I wrote a book about this called The Vegan Ketogenic Diet Cookbook. And before I did that book... I read a book called Vegan Keto, which is phenomenal. It's written by this woman named Liz McDowell. And Liz and I connected on Instagram, really hit it off with each other, and come to find out that she lives in Massachusetts. And not only that, but she lives 30 minutes away from my parents, which is relatively close. And she grew up one town over from me. And Liz and I got together in person for the very first time today in this wonderful part of Massachusetts called Concord, which is one of the most historical parts of the country, actually. It's really neat. And we took a two-hour long walk together through the woods on these beautiful trails in Concord, historic trails, by the way, like Paul Revere and like all this cool stuff that happened back in the day. And, you know, as Jason was talking about earlier with Detroit, it's stunning. It was a beautiful, warm day in the 60s, perfect skies, clear skies, and the leaves are falling and they're colorful, orange and red and yellow. And I brought my dog Evie with me and we just went on this leisurely stroll through Concord and it was magnificent. And the best part of it, well, I shouldn't say the best part, certainly wasn't. The best part was the company, but the perk, I should say, was that I got all like extra steps than usual. In fact, I just looked at my 
stats for today. And I have gone well and beyond my uh, metrics or my minimums for fitness. And let's see how many steps I did. This is actually a number I love to look at a lot, Jason. I know that you don't use your Apple Watch very much, but in addition to like seeing how much time I spent moving my body each day, I think looking at your total steps is super fascinating. And today, as of about 4 p.m., I have walked over 13,000 steps because I went on this wonderful walk. So long story short, one thing that you can do if you're looking for ways to move your body is to incorporate it with something else that you really love. So that could be walking your dog, which is something I love to do. Jason does that as well. That could be walking with a friend, a family member. And in fact, that's a really great way to spend time with each other because we are generally less at risk for infecting one another during COVID if we are outside. So Liz and I wore masks and we stayed several feet apart, usually six feet as long as we could. It was easy to stay apart from other people on the trail. And we were outside. So it was felt very comfortable for us. And I've done that with a few people during this trip. So that's a nice little COVID tip as you kind of find a way to comfortably socialize and get some movement in. And then if you're by yourself, one of my favorite tips is to listen to a podcast or an audiobook. Maybe one of the listeners of this episode is on a walk at this very moment. And that's really cool. So you can kind of find some ways to kind of multitask or to make it more pleasurable for yourself. I'll sometimes make phone calls that I've been putting off or to catch up with a friend during a long walk. And it's amazing how fast time can go by and you can easily get in your steps and do at least 10 minutes of movement every day. One thing that I've kind of pleasantly rediscovered too is, well, something that I kind of already knew, Whitney, related to fitness and moving my body is I definitely feel like getting out of the house and being in nature is just kind of apropos of this larger theme that I want to be more in nature and out of the city environment. But music for me has been actually a, first of all, I mean, music is probably my first love other than writing and books and playing some old school, like, I don't even know, like old school hard rock, like stuff I haven't listened to in a long time during my workouts has been fun because there's something about just that vibration of, I don't know, you know, putting on ACDC or Pantera or Metallica or Judas Priest, some old metal. And the other day in my mom's basement, she has a, a really cool setup with uh, weight racks. And my mom actually has a really legit sort of fitness setup here at the house. And it's been a blessing because it's been easy for me to not only do my physical therapy for my foot and get my legs stronger, but she has a bench press and a whole bunch of heavy weights. And it's been cool to see how much better I feel mentally. There's actually been some new stuff that I've been researching online. Some new studies have come out about basically the link between neurotransmitter function and dopamine, serotonin, and physical fitness. Not just anaerobic working out, like lifting weights and doing body weight resistance, but also aerobic exercise. So again, it's it goes back to this whole thing of like, I know I'm going to be uncomfortable with this. I know that I'm going to dislike it because I just have not, <laughs> I don't know, even when I was doing basketball and track and cross country in high school, I was like, eh, there were parts of it I just didn't like. But I find that pairing the right music, when I'm in control of the music, right? Not in a class where they pick the music, but where I'm choosing the playlist, I actually prefer that, Whitney. And I've been able to put on like some hardcore shit that I really like. 
And I find that I get through my workout better when the right music's playing. Oh, for sure. I can totally agree with that too. And and I think that's really the big key here is to figure out what works well for you. And a couple other tips on this note of moving your body every day is that we have to remember that you're not going to get the results that you want and expect things to just like change overnight. You need to be consistent with it and show up every day. That's why literally taking this verbatim, moving your body every day makes that long-term difference. And it also helps you be more sustainable over time, right? I think that consistency is tricky for people because we often want results to happen right away. And if we don't see results happening, we can give up on it. And then that thought in your head, like I often get with my yoga practice is, oh, well, I can skip today. It's all right. And I think what pushes me to show up more frequently with my yoga practice, which I don't do every day, by the way, I usually take three to four yoga classes a week, which I think is pretty good. And then the rest of the week, I'll do some other movement like walking or just stretching. Or like Jason said, I have hand weights. Sometimes I'll use those. I'll do something that feels good with my body for 10 minutes at least. I think that if you're not so focused on getting quick results and amazing results and being gentle with yourself, knowing that your body is different than other bodies, that's really important. And then finding a way to manage any of those thoughts that'll prevent you from sticking with something. I think really one of the biggest keys is just to commit to it. Put it on your schedule. I have yoga on my schedule. It's a repeat event. So I know that these are the times that I do it. It's easier for me to stay consistent when I see it on my calendar. And when it's the same time each week or each day of the week when I plan it out. And then if I don't have yoga, like putting in a time, blocking that off and saying, this is the time that I'm going to go take that walk with my dog. And then finding some pleasure and enjoying it. Like Jason was saying, I love, I've loved that side of adding in the music element or doing it with somebody else, I think is key to Like when you were talking about your mom, Jason, I, it reminds me also of the accountability element of it, which actually is coming up in an upcoming tip. So we can chat more about that. I think we should move on to the next tip, which is something that we can cover very easily because we talk about quite often. And when it comes to taking good care of your body and, and achieving the way that you want it to look and keeping that very sustainable, we are big advocates for the plant-based diet. If you didn't know this yet, we really believe and have found through our personal experiences that eating a diet free of animal products has made us feel really good and it's impacted our bodies. In fact, when I first tried the vegan lifestyle, my body changed a lot. And it has gone through some fluctuations, but for the most part, I feel better physically. I feel better. And mentally, I feel better eating a plant-based diet. And some people will take different avenues within the plant-based diet. So for example, we have uh, Chef AJ as a contributor, and she's really passionate about avoiding processed food and chemicals. So for that she means sugar, oil, salt, flour, caffeine, nicotine, and tobacco. And you can dabble with that and see what works for you. I've done that myself and I found that to be a little extreme. For example, I enjoy oil, you know, and I've done the keto diet as I talked about. And to me, it was really exciting to have more olive oil and coconut oil 
And I've done a lot of research that led me to believe that certain types of oils feel good in my body and can have some health benefits. But there are certainly people like Chef AJ and numerous doctors that are completely oil-free and they have a lot of data to back that up. So my big tip is to really experiment and do lots of research and try not to be stuck on one way of eating and one way of moving your body, right? Same thing. It's like you got to experiment to see what brings you joy and feels sustainable for you. We also include Robbie Barbero in this book who's been eating a mainly, if not entirely, raw foods diet for many years, ever since I met him. He eats lots of fruit, starchy vegetables, sometimes legumes, whole grains, leafy greens, herbs and spices, all of that. And I think that's wonderful. I had also tried a fruitarian diet, an 80-10-10 diet, as it's often referred to. And that did not feel sustainable to me. I actually found that when I went the exact opposite, and ate a vegan keto diet, which was high fat, low carb versus high carb, low fat, the high fat diet felt better for me and felt more sustainable. But granted, right now I'm not doing it. And this is where we tie in the COVID side of things. And I'm curious, Jason, where you're at food wise. Sometimes we don't dive into all these specifics. I found that during COVID, I really did change my diet a lot. And I think a lot of people have. And it's really important to address this, especially because people get very concerned. There's even like concepts around like gaining the COVID-19 pounds, which I think is actually harmful for our mental well-being if we're so concerned about gaining weight. We're also about to go into the holiday season, or maybe when you're listening, it's already passed. That can be a hard time for our bodies too, and our minds too, as we get very concerned about like, what we should eat and how much we should eat and should I indulge here and is it okay? And what about these meals that I'm having during certain holidays? And I think it's important for us to really be gentle and mindful and know that nothing's permanent. And that consistency is a big key. And right now, we have been in this pandemic for probably longer than any of us anticipated. I remember at the beginning of it, back in March 2020 in the US, when we went into quarantine, I was being really gentle. And I was like, okay, well, I know I feel really good eating a high-fat, low-carb diet, but I really want to eat more potatoes and rice and pasta. And actually, Jason, I was a little nervous getting together with Liz today because I perceive her as being so consistent with keto. And she's actually been eating a vegan keto diet since 2012, believe it or not, which is remarkable to me, well before even keto was a trend. And it showed me that my perception of other people isn't always right. Because when I told Liz, and I felt like I was admitting it to her, like, you know, I actually am not doing keto right now. And I haven't really been this year, especially during the pandemic. She was so relaxed about it. She's like, hey, I'm not always strict keto. I have my days where I indulge in higher carb foods. I love eating potato chips. And I was like, you do? (laughs) And it was so nice to hear her say that because I realized that other people aren't always that strict. Some people are. Like I mentioned Chef AJ, I perceive her as being very strict. Maybe she is, maybe she isn't. Robbie has been on this long-term diet of, I think, again, I'm making an assumption here. I don't know how he eats all the time, but 
my point is, is that we don't really know what other people are doing, even when they say they're doing something all the time. People change and you're going to change too. And we're in a new time during this pandemic of a lot of stress. And so I'm curious for you, Jason, has your diet changed much? And do you ever get like uncomfortable around people that you perceive as being strict? Like I know that you've interacted with Chef AJ a lot and she certainly has strong opinions. Like when you were doing demos at some of these events with her, did you feel like she was going to judge you for the way that you were eating? And, and was she judgmental or was she different than you thought she was going to be? It doesn't have to be AJ. It could be anybody. <laughs> I'm curious about if you experienced that too, a fear of other people judging what you're eating and how you're eating. So first of all, I think that over this quarantine COVID thing that we're all in and experiencing, I have one of the best things that I've experienced is just making a lot more food at home. I think if I had to guess, at least 90% or even higher of the meals that I've had over the last seven months have been made at home, which has been very, very cool to concoct new recipes and experiment with different variations of old ones and being in a new relationship. Laura is very excited about food. She loves trying new things. And she also has some food allergies that I get to work around and get creative with, which is not a big deal because I also have some food allergies that I have had to work around my whole life. So it's been cool in the sense that I feel physically healthy by virtue of the fact that it's just been like mostly home-cooked meals, which has been great. And there has been some carryouts. I, I want to keep certain restaurants in business. And also there are certain nights where I'm really kind of exhausted and don't feel like cooking, but it's been awesome just to just to get back to home-cooked meals all the time. It's been really, really lovely to experience that. In terms of what I'm eating, it's mostly been unprocessed whole foods. I mean, I'll, I'll have a chocolate bar, of course, every now and again, have some ice cream, have some whatever pigless pork rinds, whatever the deal is. I, I haven't been exclusively whole food plant-based, but it's been the majority of that. And I think that that's been one of the reasons I feel like I've been, for the most part, thriving through this period. And in terms of judgment, it's interesting you bring that up. I don't really get hung up on that with people. I realize that there are so many variations in how people eat now. I mean, aside from the many, many variations under the plant-based umbrella, you've got the variations of keto and different paleo and ancestral diet and caveman diet and carnivore diet and 80-10-10. And there, there's just, the list goes on and on and on. And I just feel like if I am eating in a way that gives me energy, brings me joy, I'm excited about the way I'm eating, I feel sustained and nourished by it, then what other people think, it's not really my business. So when I go to conferences and things like that, and there are people that are eating a different variation of a lifestyle or diet than I am, they're entitled to their opinion. I can see a lot of similarities, and I also see those differences, and I try not to focus on those differences. So if someone tries to tell me that salt is, quote, bad or oil is, quote, bad, I look at the research and I determine for myself what I think and feel. I think moderation is important with a lot of things, but I personally don't and have not cut out salt or sugar or oil out of my diet. I use it mindfully. I use it in moderation. And I think for me as a chef and someone who is an artist, I want to make meals taste as good as they can. Because for me, as an activist, food has been a huge way to open people's minds and hearts to eating and living in a different way. So it's not that you can't make great recipes. I've had pretty delicious recipes without salt, oil, or sugar. I personally just don't subscribe to that. I, I, don't, I don't want to banish them completely. On the same page with you too. And 
it was really interesting doing the keto diet because for a while I wanted to keep it to myself because I was really afraid that people would judge me. And it's interesting too because keto's trendy, paleo's trendy, vegan's trendy. Like some people, even with gluten free, I remember when I went gluten free in 2010, some people seemed to like judge me for doing something trendy. But I actually felt much better and my body felt and looked better. So it was like that mental, emotional, and physical benefit. And that seems like the right direction to go in. And with keto, not only did I experience some of the superficial elements of it, like you know, shedding some pounds, but my inflammation went down. I had more energy. As I talked about in my book, there was so many benefits to keto beyond those kind of trendy, temporary things that people do it for that I really keep going back to it over and over again. And as I was talking to Liz about today, I actually found the long-term side effects of it were that I don't really feel as interested in certain foods anymore. Like I used to be obsessed with kombucha and hard cider. I'm sure you remember these elements of me, Jason. Like Everywhere I went, whenever I would travel, I was so excited to try whatever hard ciders were around and available, especially on the East Coast. And now that I'm here, I see those drinks and I'm like, meh, they don't excite me anymore. And that was a a factor of going keto because those were NR high carb beverages. Same thing with kombucha. I was obsessed with kombucha. I wanted to try every kombucha I could get my hands on. I stopped drinking it during keto and, and now I'll have a sip of it here and there, but it doesn't excite me the way that it used to. And that kind of showed me that keto feels like a really good choice for me. Same thing with fruit. I'm just not into fruit. And I think that's why a fruitarian 80-10-10 diet just did not work for me because I don't really want to eat fruit all the time. In fact, I'll have it here and there. I think it's very nutritious. It's certainly a nice alternative to processed sweets. But I would rather have like a piece of dark chocolate if I'm going to have something sweet or some berries. So that was really interesting too. And then I had these fears when I released my cookbook. And I actually, I think the reason that Liz and I ended up chatting more frequently on Instagram, and then which led to us meeting in person today, was I reached out to her and said, Hey, I'm scared that the vegan community is going to attack me once they see that I'm promoting keto. And I certainly had experienced that in some minimal ways, but it certainly was never as extreme or hasn't been as extreme as I thought it was going to be, Jason. And it was such a relief. (laughs) You know, like publishing a book, as we've talked about in a previous episode, can feel very vulnerable and stressful. And it's kind of a big deal because it takes so much work. But it actually ended up leading more people to me that were curious about keto too and didn't even realize that you could do it plant-based. So that was pretty exciting. And one of the other tips that we have in the Take Charge ebook is around intermittent fasting. And this was something that I was introduced to through the keto diet. So this was another cool benefit to me is that because keto is very associated with like peak physical condition, working out, learning more about your body, kind of optimizing it, I started to try other things that were connected to keto, like intermittent fasting. And I found that just as as Melissa, who shared her tip in this section, giving my digestion a break for long periods of time actually makes me feel so much better and more energized. 
And I would try the strict version of intermittent fasting. There's a few different versions of it if you've never tried it, where you, what is it, Jason? You fast for 16 hours and you eat in an eight hour window, I think. Yeah, that's the one I've experimented with at times. And and actually, I like that one. I've not done it for like a long, long period of time, but I've experimented with it on and off. And that actually, that protocol really resonates with my body big time. You know, the other thing too, just to jump in, Whitney, I was having a conversation with my mom over breakfast this morning because we needed to get up on kind of the earlier side. I had an appointment at the foot doctor because I had a, a minor surgery last week on all is well. Foot is feeling great, but getting up early to get the doctor's appointment checked, she's like, oh, you don't want to have breakfast before you leave. And I expressed to her that I think for me, listening to my body in different ways has been such a godsend because I think there's this protocol as we talk about intermittent fasting of you need to eat three square meals a day, whatever the hell that means, square. Yeah, three three oblong, three trapezoidal meals a day. You need to eat three square meals a day. And for me, there are some days, whether I'm intermittent fasting or not, where I might only have two meals a day because my body, I'll wake up and I go, you know what? I'm not hungry till noon. There are some days without even intentionally fasting with that. I'm like, yeah, I'm not hungry till noon or it's rare unless I'm doing like a detox or a cleanse, that I'll sometimes eat one meal a day. And so I think listening to our body, in, especially in the context of intermittent fasting, is really so important. Rather than affixing ourselves mentally to a regimen of having to eat at specific times of day, you know, I think there's sort of this American, I don't know, protocol of like, you know, we sit down to eat dinner at 5 p.m. It's like, eat dinner when you're hungry. <laughs> Listen to your body and eat when you're hungry. For sure. And I think that trying something like fasting actually really helps you learn about this. In fact, we're not quite at the end of our episode where we do our brand shout outs, but I'll throw one in there right now. Jason and I have each done this program called Prolon, which we will link to in the show notes. And they have a really interesting setup that was designed by a, a doctor who studied fasting and found a way to mimic fasting, which allowed you to still consume some food. So actually, Prolon's considered a fasting mimicking diet, FMD. And the founder of Prolon wrote a really great book about this that I've read and developed this whole plant-based protocol where they send you packets of like dehydrated food. I don't think anything was fresh in there. They're supplements. There's soups that you just mix the powder with water and to make an instant soup and crackers I remember in there, like a few really basic things. And I believe you do it for five days. Is that right, Jason? Is it a five-day long program? Yeah. And it's calculated. It was Walter Longo, the doctor. And funny enough, I'm in my mom's office and the longevity diet book by him is literally right next to me on the bookshelf. So the principles of it is that it has a specific ratio of micro and macronutrients and specific number of calories that keep your body in that fasting zone. So yeah, we both done it. My mom's done it. And I actually experienced some really cool results. I remember when I did it, I think for the first time, was that 2017? I ended up losing five and a half pounds in five days. It was a little over a pound a day. I didn't feel weak. I didn't feel bad. But a pound a day is, a, is pretty good. And I didn't need to lose weight loss. It was more as an experiment. But I've seen really, really great results. And I didn't feel like as famished as I did when I've done, say, strict juice cleanses in the past. The longest fast I've ever done was a juice tea and water cleanse like 10 years ago. This was like 2010. I did it for 21 days. 
and by all means, this was much shorter, but I didn't feel the same level of, I don't know, ravenous hunger that I did when I've done juice cleanses in the past. Right. That's the thing that's nice is you still get to enjoy that experience of eating food. And I think that's the big element of cleansing or fasting that's frustrating for people is like if you're just drinking liquids. I mean, I've done a ton of cleanses and fasts and there's all sorts of data on them about how they affect your body for better or for worse. And what I really like about Prolon is simply that it was developed by a doctor and that you actually get to eat food and it's nutrient-rich food. Now, full disclosure, Prolon is not 100% vegan as of the time of this recording. I know they've been working on making it so. And I actually did a video because they sponsored me back in, I think that was the beginning of 2019. So I can link to that video where I share my whole experience. You can watch me go through it and do a review of it. I loved it and I still advocate for them. I'm an affiliate of theirs and sometimes I get special discounts. So if I can put any in the show notes, I will. Or you know what? Speaking of which, we mention a lot of brands and resources on this show. If you don't find a discount code, a permanent one, because some brands like Prolon, for example, I don't think I have a permanent code to give you a percentage off. I might. If I do, I'll put it in there. This is a good reason to go to the show notes. But if you don't see a discount code for a product that we recommend, send us either an email. Our email is hello at wellevator.com or send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram and ask us like, hey, do you happen to have a discount code? Because we love hearing from you, period. But we never want you to hesitate to get something just because it's expensive for you. So if we can find a way to save you some money, we'd love to. And brands like Prolon often run promotions, or we can even reach out to them on your behalf and say, hey, we know someone who wants to buy this. Do you have a coupon code? We're happy to do that for you. We never want money to get in the way of your health. So we'll link to Prolon, I'll link to the video, and I'll do my best to find you a discount so you can try it out for yourself. Next up, we had talked about accountability, Jason. And I don't know, just hearing you mention your mom and and the weightlifting setup there, like, who do you feel like is a good accountability partner for you? Like, your mom sounds like she's really great. You guys talk a lot on the phone when you're in person together, you do things. Do you have other accountability partners? And I know that you've worked with a trainer in the past, which was really awesome for you. What is your current accountability set up for yourself if you have one? And what has worked really well for you in the past? Yeah. So shout out to two trainers that I absolutely love that we will link to in the show notes. If any any of the listeners wants to check out more information on building muscle and increasing your fitness. I mean, there's so many wonderful people we've already mentioned in here, uh, like Derek Trisais and Giacomo and Robert Cheek and so many great contributors. Sam Shorkey, you can get all of these in the Take Charge ebook. So many wonderful fitness experts. But the two that I've personally worked with that I can vouch for that may be a little less known in the pantheon of wellness and fitness, one is Damon Valley, who trained me for several years at a gym in Los Angeles called Barbell Brigade and really helped me to exercise without injury and pay attention to my body and form and doing it in a very mindful way. Damon is awesome. Also incredible musician. He actually just released a new album this year that he'd been working on through the pandemic. Damon's an old friend of ours. So shout out to Damon Valley, who's doing just great work in the world, both with music and fitness. And then my original trainer, my original vegan trainer is a buddy of mine named Kevin Hill, 
who is doing a lot of work for plant-based children's wellness. He's in Hawaii now. He moved out of Los Angeles years ago, but Kevin is an old friend of mine who was my original trainer many, many years ago back in, God, we started working together in 2011, 2012. So they're both great resources and both incredibly cool guys who have a lot of knowledge when it comes to this. But in terms of my current accountability partner, I think, yeah, I definitely talk a lot about it with my mom because we're both wanting to be consistent with it. And she has, like I said, a great setup here, a great exercise bike and a whole weight setup. But honestly, Whitney, <laughs> I go back to what I said earlier in this podcast, which is just, you know, pain is a great teacher. And I think my motivation now is not wanting to go back to the pain that I was in when I injured my foot and had extreme tendonitis months ago. You were actually with me on the East Coast when I was battling my first bout of gout three years ago. And and it's the foot injuries I've had have been some of the most pain I've ever been in, like on the floor crying pounding the floor level pain. So my motivation right now is I'm, again, willing to exchange the pain and the discomfort and begrudgingly working out because I don't want to be in that level of pain anymore. And I know if my body is strong and the endorphins are flowing and the good hormones are flowing and I'm taking care of myself, it's not a guarantee I won't be injured again. It's not a guarantee I won't experience that type of pain I've been in. But knowing what I know about physical therapy and strengthening my tendons and my joints yeah, I think I'm my own accountability partner because I don't want to be in that pain again. <laughs> that makes sense. I don't think you should be in that pain. <laughs> it's funny because I really advocate for having an accountability partner, but I guess I haven't really had one during the pandemic aside from signing up for a class. Like to me, just the act of enrolling and having to pay something monthly, that's accountability because I don't want to waste my money. But when I was going to in-person classes, there was actually some people I met during my yoga classes, like just started chatting with them. There's this one guy named John who we just became buddies and we started texting and and we would check in like, hey, are you going to class today? And we've actually stayed in touch during the pandemic, even though we don't see each other in person anymore. And then there was another woman named Diana who would hit me up. We are all kind of friends together. We're on a group text chat now. And every once in a while, I hear from them and we've taken virtual classes together, me and Diana. And I find like that type of accountability is really sweet, but it's hard for me to find somebody who's like the same level of consistency as me, I suppose. And I tend to just work well when I feel like the teacher is looking forward to having me, me there. In fact, one of my teachers was so sweet. And I thought a brilliant marketing tactic for her too, is that she would text me and other people in the class after class, every single class, Jason, she would text and say, thank you for showing up. And she was doing this with a few other students that she knew well enough to do that. And I just felt like I wanted to show up because I knew it was important to her. And I think we need to remember that too. If we're taking some sort of teacher-led class, that they appreciate us being there and they love hearing from us. Give them praise. Let them know how you're affected by them. Show up for them. Be on time. As I said earlier, Like I always show up to my Zoom classes on time because I don't want to be that student that shows up five minutes late and you know you can hear the little dinging as you enter into the Zoom room. And I also don't want to leave class early. So like today, when I was slacking off a bit, I just kept my computer on simply for the sake of not disturbing the class. And I walked away from my computer. (laughs) 
but I just wanted to be considerate. And I think that mentality is a big form of accountability as well. Well, a few other tips for you in terms of your physical body. This one actually might not seem very related, but certainly something that Jason and I have experienced is learning how to manage your stress effectively. Because as Sid Garza Hillman says, our food and fitness choices are reactions to the stress in our life. Less stress often means better and easier choices. And I think that actually makes a huge impact on consistency. But what we often don't realize is that moving our body reduces stress. So it might feel stressful to move your body because you're facing some sort of resistance to it, as we've discussed. If you can push through that resistance, you're going to feel much better. You're going to have less stress. And then that in turn will make it easier for you to work out the next time. Do you find that true for yourself too, Jason? Yeah, for sure. And one of the big reasons too that I'm doing my best to just be consistent and build momentum is the mental health benefits. And I know that when I am stressing my body in a workout, somehow it just seems that I'm able to handle other forms of mental stress in my life easier. It's just a corollary. And again, more in the research that I've been doing in terms of endorphins and healthy hormone balance with testosterone and progesterone is that by challenging our body to move, and especially with weight resistance exercises, be weights or push-ups or any kind of resistance movements, there's just something that, again, it kind of goes back to my newfound philosophy, which is I would rather put my body through this kind of stress than have to deal with the heightened stress mentally that I might encounter by not doing this. So again, I just see this as a series of trade-offs, Whitney. That's kind of like my whole mindset around this is I'm going to intentionally put myself through this pain and this stress so that the pain and the stress of other things will be reduced. And I do find for myself, there is an absolute correlation there. And I think this ties into our kind of final big tip for this section from our friend Matt Frazier, which is you have to find your reason. Again, for me right now, it's that I'm exchanging the discomfort and pain and stress of working out and growing my body and getting more muscular right now so that I'm potentially allaying any kind of pain or re-injury or allowing myself to handle mental stress better. So Matt said that staying in shape comes down to having your reason. And that's going to be very, very different for people. You know, it's a compelling goal that you might become kind of borderline obsessed with. And whether it doesn't have to be something crazy like a marathon or ultra marathon, for me, it was recovering from injury. It was feeling better in my body, you know, doing it for my mental health. You have to have something and and a compelling reason to stay committed. And Matt says when he doesn't have that, he doesn't exercise and that's all there is to it. And I, I think proper motivation and a really compelling reason is true for anything, Wit. It's true for sticking with building a business or staying in a relationship or being committed to your spiritual goals or whatever your thing is. I think having a deeply soulful and compelling reason is the things that it's going to pull us through the hard times, no doubt. And with this commitment that I have, again, going back to my injury being a blessing in life, it's helped me recommit to moving my body. I didn't do it yesterday because I kind of pulled a muscle in my back, but almost every single day that I've been here with the exception of one day, I've been moving my body and I'm really proud of myself for that. But Whatever your motivation is, dear listener, you've got to find it, whether that's being healthier for your kids and extending your longevity, whether that's feeling better in your body, coming out of quarantine and being in a a certain kind of shape that you envision in your mind, whatever that is for you, I think it's just, it's got to be deep enough and soulful enough to keep you going. What's your motivation right now, Whitney? Do you have a compelling reason for doing what you're doing? 
in terms of fitness? Well, I think it's because I notice that when I'm consistent, I get all these benefits that we've been talking about. And I remember when the pandemic was starting to spread across the US, like I hung on to going to yoga as long as possible. Like I think I actually took classes there at my studio up until they closed it down. And I remember it was like a risky thing to do. And I had to weigh out the pros and cons of it. At that time, which was in March of this year, 2020, there wasn't a ton of information yet. We were all just kind of guessing. In a lot of ways, we still are. But back then it was like, huh, like, should we be seeing each other in person? Like the studio started to like space out the mats more. And this is before we were required to wear masks. Uh, I remember I would just go in and I was just trying to be really mindful and wash my hands a lot. And I was doing everything that I was told to do. And luckily, I didn't get COVID. But my feelings changed a lot after they shut the studios down. I got more strict and I declined offers to do classes in person outside because I started to enjoy doing yoga at home. As I said, there it's been really convenient. and just paying something monthly keeps me motivated to keep going. And today, for example, when I didn't really feel like doing that class, just simply making that decision to show up and do it for as long as I wanted to made a world of a difference. It felt so much better to me mentally to make that choice than to not do it at all. And I think that's a big thing I learned about myself, Jason. It's I want to be consistent with things and it's tempting to slack off. But I think there's different levels of slacking. So yeah, maybe only doing 20 minutes of a one-hour class is slacking in some ways, but it's better than zero. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I could have justified not doing class because of the long walk I went on today. But I'm really glad I did both. And I think tuning into myself and recognizing how good I feel when I move my body every day and I find new ways to challenge myself I just have to remember that. It's like I can write it down on a piece of paper or I can just have it as a mantra like you're going to work out today or you're going to move your body today. You're going to do something hard. You're going to do something that's temporarily unpleasant. I think it's a good mental workout for us too. So I like challenges. I like getting uncomfortable. Fitness is certainly (laughs) both of those things. And after years and years of practicing yoga, I do see a lot of benefits to sticking with it. I've been doing yoga for, I think about 14 years ago. I think I started in 2006, my first classes, which funny enough, were at a gym back when I had a gym membership. I think (laughs) I never enjoyed lifting weights and stuff and the circuits that you could do there. I really enjoyed taking fitness classes. And that's why I ended up ending my gym membership and just joining fitness studios. So After I tried a few yoga classes at the gym, which were pretty mediocre, all things considered, I went and I joined a yoga studio and started dabbling in that and have been doing it ever since. And I've tried all these different teachers. And, you know, that's the other thing too, is that variety has helped a lot. And now that I found teachers that I really love after many years, I can be consistent with them. And actually, having the teachers know me and my body is really beneficial too. And that's something I really enjoy. Like when I sign on to Zoom, my teacher knows when I can push myself harder, when I can hold a plank longer, or I can adjust my hips in Warrior Two or whatever. 
And so all of that stuff is kind of exciting. And I think that really keeps me going. Well, you have a brand shout out. Is it that time? It's time to give some love. It is that time. And I also have an exciting update when I checked out the information on Prolon behind the scenes. It looks like we can get you, the listener, at least 10% off. So if you use the link that's in the show notes, you will get at least 10% off. And like I said, if you want to message us or email us, please don't hesitate. I will dig around and see if I can get you an even better discount code because you often can with these brands. My other shout out that I want to give is for Amy's Kitchen, who recently has been sending me products on a regular basis. It's been really lovely. I feel very blessed. (laughs) I think there's multiple PR companies that they work with because in the past few months, I've had like various people representing Amy's Kitchen reaching out and they've sent me some of their delicious frozen meals. And they've sent me their soups. And I got really into their soups during COVID, as I'm sure many people did, because they're convenient and they're canned and they last a long time. But they're also great this time of year. And I just think Amy's Kitchen has wonderful ingredients. Most of their products are plant-based, not all, but you can easily go on their website and browse through and it tells you all the details. Their cans are very well labeled. They use a lot of organic ingredients. And I actually just went on their website right now. And it's kind of amazing to look at how many products they have in general. They also have great pizza. I'm getting insanely hungry (laughs) looking at this right now. And on the sidebar of their website, you can narrow it down by gluten-free. They have both a vegan and a plant-based label, which I'm curious what how they define plant-based versus vegan. Because I often see the two hand in hand, and it's interesting to see a food company like separating the two. So I don't know off, off the top of my head how they define plant-based versus vegan. Maybe their plant-based foods are a little bit more nutrient-oriented. But anyways, you can go on there and scroll around, and they have a lot of new products. I tried their organic tortilla soup, which was fantastic. Their, let's see, oh, I think I might have mentioned this in the past, but a few months ago, I tried their new gluten-free vegan meatless pepperoni pizza that was phenomenal, all things considered. Now, granted, it's not going to taste the same as a pizza with animal-based pepperoni on it, and it's not going to taste the same as a really great vegan pizza fresh at a pizzeria, but for a frozen gluten-free vegan pizza, it's really, really good. And their tortilla casserole I've tried, that's on the newer side. Their um, Mexican-inspired veggies and black beans I tried. The Moroccan-inspired vegetable tagine. And so many things. Oh, yeah, their chili mac and cheese. I'm just browsing the website, looking at all of these (laughs) dishes, salivating and thinking about how great they are. But anyways, I'm going to be taking their soups with me on my road trip. They're sending me a few cans. And I'm going to heat them up on the drive in my special little travel setup. And I'm really looking forward to just taking a leisurely drive back to Los Angeles and enjoying some soup along the way during this fall season. And I I think that Amy's is cool because you can find them at most grocery stores. Of course, you can buy them online. They're pretty well-priced. They have great ingredients and they have a lot to choose from. I've been on a uh, kind of a cream cheese kick lately because my mom has been stocking some really good stuff at the house. So I want to give a shout out to 
two of my favorite cream cheese, vegan cream cheese brands. Number one is Violife. And they have a chili pepper cream cheese. Didn't even know it existed. Went to a local market here and went, what is that? What? Yes. They have a chili pepper cream cheese and it's incredible. Talk about salivating. Oh my gosh. I don't know about the listener, but I am rearing to go for dinner now after this conversation or breakfast. Would you have cream cheese, Jason, in a non-breakfast capacity? And if so, what would it be on? Well, this particular one is almost like a nacho cream cheese. So we were talking about actually putting cream cheese on nachos. That's how good it is. So this Violife, this chili pepper cream cheese is like, you could plop this on nachos and go crazy. It's so good. So that's the number one is Violife in general is, is really wonderful. They have slices. They have a vegan feta that's delicious. They are really one of my favorite cheese brands because of their not only, I think, level of innovation and taste, but also the meltability and that their textures are really close to kind of the uh, traditional dairy versions. The second one that I've actually been really pleased with is um, a more traditional kind of white cream cheese, and that's from Kite Hill. Tal Ronan helped develop these almond-based cheeses. But between the Kite Hill and between that Violife, I have just been, I've probably eaten more cream cheese this past two weeks than I have all year. Like I've just been going ballistic on cream cheese and I'm kind of on a kick right now and I'm not hating it. So <laughs> those are my two brand shout outs. If you are dairy-free or plant-based or vegan, definitely check out the cream cheeses and all the products from Violife and Kite Hill. Kite Hill also has some really great yogurts. I've been enjoying their plant-based yogurts this week. And I think they must have reformulated them lately because they don't have some of the graininess I remember when they first came out. So I'm just digging all the plant dairy and all the innovations. And yeah, shout out to all the great brands doing what they do in the, uh, in the plant-based dairy category. And for all of the resources that we have mentioned, including the more expansive version of Take Charge, the ebook we've been mentioning throughout this episode and the previous one, go to our website. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Our brand is called Wellevator. You can go to the free resources section to download your copy of Take Charge and get some other free video trainings we have there for you to enhance your well-being in a personal and professional capacity. And for all of the resources we mentioned here today, we will have them for you in the show notes. Again, go to our website and click on the podcast section. It'll take you to the show notes for all of our episodes of This Might Get Uncomfortable. And if you want to get in touch with us, send us a little love note, maybe even request a topic for a future episode. You can send us an email. It's hello at wellevator.com. And you can connect with us on all the major social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. It's at Wellevator. Again, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And we'll be back with another episode soon going even deeper into the tips and pro strategies in our Take Charge ebook for you to thrive in your life because that's what we're all trying to do right now, right? It's amidst all the chaos and uncertainty in life. If we make a choice to be good to ourselves, that's one thing we can control, whether that's how we eat, how we move, how we connect with people we love. And that's something that Whitney and I are uh, definitely prioritizing in our lives and we encourage you to do the same. So Until next time, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. Thanks for your love of the podcast. And we'll catch you soon with another episode. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 